You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 40 of Storyteller Conclaves. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level. I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How you doing, Rob? You know, I've, <clears throat> you're probably going to hear it in my voice tonight. Like, I'll probably crack my voice at least three <laughs> or four times tonight. I've, I've got this thing going on. I, uh, I helped a friend move this weekend. Oh, yeah. Like, for 13 hours straight. There's a bunch of us who did. Uh, a couple people on the cast, so uh, I will say that uh, uh, gaming tribes mean life. Yeah. I will say that. I will say that. They really do. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to say that they are in a better situation than they, than they were, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the that's the important thing. So That's good. But well, uh, hello to everybody on the uh, the live chat. Yeah. I see Knox and Sam are out there. I, uh, I hope to see a few more faces as well pop up on the list here, but uh, – yeah, we're uh, we kind of got this random thing to do today. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted I want to actually start our uh, start a discussion off today. I just want to kind of ask you: uh, You ever used uh, random random encounter tables or anything like that? You know, um, <laughs> when I was young, <laughs> back, <laughs> no, in, my back day. in the day, no, really, um, I did do a lot of uh, random encounters early on because I didn't have a lot to do with plot. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I just I wasn't good at it. Um, but as I got better at it, I felt that I didn't need them as much. But I still, I'd still use them on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I kind of find them good for me because, especially in systems I don't know, yeah, um, or yeah. a setting I don't know, because it shows me monsters I didn't know existed. My last game session that I ran for D and D, one of the monsters out of that came from. A random encounter generation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what is this glorious thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that can come out of, uh, yeah. out of random encounters. I remember back um, – I, I used them a lot back when I was running my uh, my three uh, 3.5 game. Yeah. And uh, uh, so that was uh, what mid, – mid-20s. I was, you know, mm-hmm. ju- just out of college or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. And uh, uh, the, the DM's guide had a lot of uh, random encounter charts – and whatnot, right. um, and you know, random swamp encounters and random mountain encounters and such like that. Um, the internet was not as much of a thing back in those days as it is today. Uh, so I, I did rely on those right out of the DM's guide pretty heavily, but uh, sure. I, I found I got really mixed results out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like like you said, it did introduce me to some monsters that I'd never seen out of the monster manual before, mm-hmm. and that was cool because it got right. me to kind of look up like, oh, what, what what is that? That's interesting, you know. Yeah. And at least give me some ideas, but. What I found was uh, the trouble I ran into was like, okay, so the encounter is 1D4 wolves. And it's like, okay, well, I rolled something really uninspiring. But I mean, if I'm if I'm going to roll it randomly, That's I'm, random. I, I, I might as well abide by what it gives me. Otherwise, I'm just choosing from the list and not really right, rolling it. Right. And then it's like 1D4 wolves. So like I roll a D4 and it's like one. And I'm like – you want me to set up a board and put miniatures out there and break up the flow of play for one wolf that has nine hit points and an AC of 14. Yeah. To, to, you know, that's not a random encounter. Like that's, that's a crappy experience. Not necessarily. I mean, it can be. It, and that's it, the thing is, is that that's what we've learned is it doesn't have to be. Right. And, and I think that, we can, but that was the beginning of where I started to kind of right. learn like, no, okay, no. well, you know, these random encounter charts, if you just take them at face value, right. like that's when they suck. But if you, if you curate them a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, use them as a jumping off point and not as a, well, I guess it's going to be one wolf, you mm-hmm. know, uh, everybody line up and take, you know, take, take turns punching it. Um, they, they random encounters can actually be really good for you. Uh, and so I started like writing my own random encounter charts and, uh, you know, really kind of going through the monster manual and like building those and like throwing different things in there. So I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit about that tonight. OK. OK. All right. Uh, so first thing you've got. So you got to you, you pulled a couple uh, a couple interesting uh, perspectives uh, 
I see on here from our from our show sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there were two people that I went back to. Um, one led to the other actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so Michael Ishe, who some of you guys may recognize, is Sly Flourish. Um, he's an author of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and I think the Lazy Dungeon Master Returns. Um, writes some great books. Uh, very helpful stuff. And I I've talked about. Uh, uh, Michael in the past. I've, I've mm-hmm. grabbed quotes from in the past and one of the things he says is rolling for random encounters is a bit like cooking at a table instead of in the kitchen. Uh, we have the ingredients all set up for us but a couple of die rolls might change things up in ways we didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way of kind of broaching random encounters in a more, I don't know, less – Thoughtless way. That yeah, it's just, it's, it's just kind of you know why, why are we doing this? Um, but he directly referenced uh, MT Black. Now MT, um, you may not recognize, but if you go to the DM's Guild and look up some uh, some of the modules that are out there, mm-hmm. you will find MT Black. His name is all over all right, huh? over the place. This yeah. is the guy who is notorious. Uh, one of the ways that he does it, he has a JavaScript that literally grabs a bunch of text and creates random starts for him. Oh, interesting. And he'll just he'll he'll create like 50 of those. Look down the list and be like, "Oh, I like this one. Make some module out of that." Oh my god. And it's it's brilliant every oh, time. And is people with that kind of talent. And that but the thing is is that he's developed himself to that level. Right. And what right. he says is I use randomness all the time when I'm creating adventures. Otherwise, I find that I'm just slipping back into a very comfortable tropes and ideas. Randomness really helps bring me something fresh to the table. See, and that I think right there is the yes. crux of it. And I I really loved this quote from him because uh you know, I, I, I do that all the time, you know, and I find myself writing and I'm like, how, how, I'm just, I'm just writing a very humdrum stand up, you know, enemies on one side, good guys on the other fight. Like, what, why am I doing that? What can I throw in here? What monkey wrenches can I throw at things? And random tables are perfect for that. Yes. So getting into our discussion, mm-hmm. um, I actually want to start with one of the questions from one of our listeners. I think that's a great way uh, to go. The Mad Elf. Yes. Uh, one of our uh, one of our avid listeners here asks, isn't random encounter really a misnomer? And I think the answer to that is both a profound yes and a profound no. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what a random encounter is mm-hmm. and what it is not. Yes. Okay. So there's two ways of looking at the word random. Yeah, who's it random for? Who's it random for? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, if it's truly random, mm-hmm. like as in random to the dungeon master as well, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Uh, you're you're rolling off of a chart of some sort. Even the dungeon master does not know what you're going to get out of that um, before before dice at the table there. But keep in mind that everything player facing is going to be random. It's going to be seemingly random. Okay, if they're as a, as a player, imagine you're walking, you know, down the road to your destination. It's going to be a day and a half travel, whatever. Mm-hmm. The DM says, "All right, hold on, dice at the table." He says, "Okay." Um, as you're traveling along, and then starts narrating some sort of an encounter for you. Was that random, or did you have it written the entire time? You, I don't think the players would know. Does it doesn't matter? And it doesn't. It, it doesn't. does not matter. What I think defines a random encounter to the players. Mm-hmm. Is something that is neither expected nor planned for by the party. Yes. Okay. And what I mean by that is um, it's not expected. Mm-hmm. Okay. We were not expecting to run into anything on this road. Right. Okay. So now we go into a dungeon and we run into some goblins. Now that's not really unexpected. There's going to be, you know, subterranean monsters in a dungeon. Right. So that's not really a random encounter. But, you know, out on the road, if I ran into a pack of wolves, well, that seems pretty random to me. We weren't expecting to get waylaid by wolves on the road. You know? Right. Like uh, for me in the way I'm seeing it is um, – and this is just a different way for instance because mm-hmm. of the way I see scenes is that when you have a occurrence, uh, players are saying, hey, we're going to go talk to this duke. He's going to be – you know, he's in this town across the way. That's the encounter. That's the that's planned the focused for encounter. scene that's coming up. Yes. The random that happens in between is that chaos moment. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's because the Duke's men, you know, the other Duke's men knows you're coming and so he's cutting you off at the yeah. past. You know, yeah. there's there's sappers who are gonna maybe it's something else that's happening. Um a good example of that is uh the Three Musketeers, the Disney one, mm-hmm. um, them riding out, they're on horseback and they're like, you know, would you stop whistling? I'm not whistling. 
you know, my head split, you know, and then a freaking cannonball shows up mm-hmm. and it's from a castle a ways away. But it's clearly after them. It's it's a random encounter mm-hmm. that happens, and it breaks up the flow of the story. They weren't there to siege the castle or anything. Nope. Like that. The castle no. just decided to interject itself right. into their lives, yep. <laughs> and then send out people to chase them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Cardinal Richelieu's men trying to get them. Yeah. So again, that's a random encounter. But is it random for the storyteller, or is it random? For the players or is it random for both? Mm-hmm. And does it really matter? It doesn't – It does. I don't think it matters to the players. Mm-hmm. Um, but the storyteller can make all the difference. Right. Um, so like for instance, if I was uh, running that game, maybe in the previous scenes, I didn't have a reason to have them getting chased down. But something changed. Mm-hmm. They got information that they shouldn't have had. Now I have to do something about that. So I'm going to create an encounter that I did not expect to do in between because it has to happen. Yeah. And that, to me, still screams random encounter. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, all right. So why why would we ever use random encounters? I mean we, we talk a lot about world building and story crafting and very carefully writing our NPCs and writing our plot arcs and, you know, our scenes and, you know, moving from one thing to another. Why what, – what do random encounters even serve us? Yeah, I'm laughing for a very specific reason. All right. <laughs> it's a terrible reason. It's because we <sighs> – so many players are murder hobos <laughs> and they want to murder. I don't know what that is. It's something that just happens in gaming and we all do it. No, it's, but it's, it happens. But, but that's, that, but I would that's say it's so, one reason. But that's so valid though. It is so but That's so valid though. <laughs> like, because you just had two scenes of full conversation and persuasion and manipulation. And the bard was doing his silver tongued thing and, and literally the, the barbarian was doing his intimidation thing. You and, know, and everybody's just like, yeah, that was really great. But uh, can we go murder something now? Because right. I really want to roll some dice right. that are not talking dice. Man, and especially with Dungeons and Dragons, you've got <laughs> these like – like I, I play a wizard in your game, yeah, you know, and yeah. like don't I just – I spend half my time eyeballing my cone of cold yeah. and just like wanting to roll a handful yep. of D8. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. There's mm-hmm. something There's something about that. It comes – and it's not for every player. Yeah. Not every player wants that. But you have to be prepared for that at the table. So I think that's a valid reason. I think that I, out of the time – you know, if we were going to be doing this like family feud style, do we see murder hobos? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's up there. I no, want to say like one there. or two. Like it's right up there. It's absolutely up there. It's so, absolutely up there. So I would say that's on the list definitely. That would be a reason for it. Um, I think the second one is what we kind of talked about with uh, creativity. Mm-hmm. I think that it uh, it opens doors for the storyteller. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it can it can relieve a lot of pressure off the storyteller. Yeah. Um, because I mean, if you don't have to really craft an encounter carefully, you can just roll some dice and just be like, okay, fine. The dice decided for me. Mm-hmm. You're now fighting a group of bandits, yeah. you know, or you're fighting ogres or something like that. You right. Know? I wanted an encounter that happened prior to something crazy mm-hmm. uh, in the desert for you guys. And so mm-hmm. I literally just rolled on a random table and and looked up. I was like, okay, well, how am I going to get them to go into the city, mm-hmm. you know, and make their way in? And so I found some scorpions. I'm like, oh, scorpions are a great idea. Yeah. But that's not going to be enough to stop them. Mm-hmm. So I upped the ante a little bit and pushed it a little higher and then made sure at the end there was something significant that was definitely like not so much a a, a, a goliath of, yeah. of creatures. So it would force you guys in a direction. But I wanted to build to that. And I literally had a heartbeat set up for it. So it wasn't so much a random encounter, but I threw a random encounter on top of the goliath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically yeah, yeah. said leading up to the goliath moment, I want to have something random and it worked out. Well, and it, and it added a lot of tension too because not mm-hmm. only did we – I mean we knew about the goliath. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we could see the dunes shifting as this gigantic – sandworm was coming towards us, but we could outpace him. But it was when you threw the random encounter in and said, okay, well, now these guys are going to tie you up in combat while that Goliath is closing on you. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly our hearts are beating a little bit faster. Yeah. You know? It's that impending doom. Um, but totally the the encounter that you guys ran into, which mm-hmm. I ran an encounter because uh, I wanted to have uh, a lead up to some evidence being found mm-hmm. uh, in an old ruins. And I was like, OK, well, what's in this ruins? And I literally was just like, OK, I need to come up with something. So I literally just kept hitting randomize mm-hmm. on the D&D site. And I was like, random, 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 random. What is this? And it was a uh, Oblex, O-B-L-E-X. Uh-huh. And I started looking. I'm like. This is kind of neat. And so I started looking a little deeper and found out there was like an adult one mm-hmm. and it had some cool powers. And I'm like, OK, this is what I'm doing. This yeah. Where, where has this been all my life? This is exactly what I need. And it worked out flawlessly uh, because it not only gave me 
a creative reason to put some exp- exposition into the story mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have been able to do. I was like, are they going to meet ghosts? Are they going to do this? And what I found out was an oblex, especially adult ones, steal memories. Oh, yeah. And then use that in these uh, um, uh, simulations, simulacrum, yeah. uh, that look just like people with a little bit of glistening, but you really can't tell in the right light. You know, They can cover up for that. But it allowed me to use those memories mm-hmm. to a degree and because it's a whole bunch of different jumbled memories, you got all these different pieces until someone kind of put it all together. We're like, wait a second. These don't match up. Yeah. You know, and then the fight began. And you never would have discovered any of that if no. you hadn't have just punched random a bunch of times. Uh, exactly. And then done a little bit of digging mm-hmm. and, you know, and tweaked it because I wanted it to, to fit right. But yeah. um, it gave me a solid encounter mm-hmm. and it, it it let me relax a little bit and be like, holy, oh, this is perfect. This is yeah. what I wanted. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so one of, I think one of, the, one of the other great things about random encounters too is that they can add a sense that the world is alive mm. um, by you know putting things in that exist beyond the current quest. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we we can all get very focused on like everything has to do with your plot. Yeah, but like. Hungry wolves in the forest don't stop existing because the princess has been kidnapped. Right. You know, like you're not always going to run into the prince's guards and the bandits who stole her and, you know, like sometimes crap just happens. And I'm not going to say that this isn't something because I have seen this in a couple games Mm -hmm. where if you're in a city, first time you're coming into a city, there are random encounters for a city that are not combat encounters. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw on a table was like, you know, you had like – you know, uh, um, it, it's market day. Mm-hmm. So the market's full of merchants. That's your random encounter. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's there's a parade because it's a festival. Yeah. You know, all the market's closed. Sorry. It's parade day. There was you know? uh, 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 Sean actually in his uh, um, uh, his D&D game for us ran a kind of a random encounter. We were trailing a, uh, a mysterious figure through the city of right. Waterdeep. Right. And as we're going along, he was rolling on the random city encounters, giving right. us like details of what we were seeing along the street and stuff That's like wonderful. That. Yeah. I mean, and that, again, helps it be alive, takes the load off of the GM because literally they're just rolling through a city. And a lot of RPGs do that naturally because mm-hmm. they're just pulling dialogue and NPCs randomly in a digital sense. There's no reason why you can't do that as a storyteller yeah. to kind of just make it easier for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Uh, see, the last last thing too is um, – and like you know, kind of what we're getting at with the, yeah, yeah. With the city encounters and stuff like that is to make the world feel more cohesive and consistent. Yes, yes. Because a lot of these um, – uh, a lot of these random encounter tables and uh, especially if you curate them yourself right. uh, will, will be region specific mm-hmm. or location specific. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like specifically the city of Waterdeep. Here are things right. that can happen exactly. for you. Um, and so, you know, it, as I've got written down here, like if the dark swamp is rumored to be dangerous and filled with giant carnivorous in- insects, well, you'd better run into some giant carnivorous or, or something in there. Right. Like the villagers don't go in there because un- in addition to giant carnivorous insects, there are giant crocodiles. Right. And there's a tribe of lizard folk. Sure. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a number of of environmental factors, right, that that can take place in there. So, you and know, again, if, not all this has to be a yeah. gridded out board, initiative driven, right, step by step combat. This could literally be a dialogue of events where it's like, okay, guys, uh, you know, you you come into this area, and upon the wind, you hear the howl of wolves, right. So, so now you have an encounter with wolves, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, well, are we rolling initiative? Like, nope, we're gonna take this through other means. Because yeah. it's just a random encounter, so we'll see how you guys get through it. Because mm-hmm. again, it's not as important to the meat and potatoes of the story. It's not a special encounter or, or combat encounter. We just want to see what happens here. Right. How does it waylay you? How does it, you know, decide? And some of your players may be like, mm, I really wish I could have fought in that and actually, you know, got the crunchy dice out of it. It's like, do you, would you want to spend that much time on that? Or would you prefer to spend it on the meat and potatoes of the story? Right, right. I mean, you guys are trying to rescue this 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 kidnapped princess. Right, right. I mean, are you? Do you want to get to the castle where you can rescue the princess, or do you want to fight some wolves? Right. And I'm, I'm having this happen, yeah. and this is a consequence. You know, but it's a consequence of you having a you making a poor survival role in between. Right. And okay, so. All of you did okay, but you ended up getting injured, uh, and uh, so now you're, you know, you're, you have a point of fatigue. Yeah, that's it, exactly. And you move on, but you have a story that's sat in between, mm-hmm. you know, a reason. So, yes, Sam, turtles could show up. Damn it, 
damn it, we could have turtles. Snapping turtles at that, especially in the swamp. We are allergic. You know, that actually came up last time. That really? That was going to be the turtle that showed up in this. Moral of the Ancient One? Yeah. Actually, I think Overwatch called that one. If I go back far enough, it was literally like maybe the next one will be more. I swear. I swear it was in there. Well, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're doing squares on which turtles it was going to be, congratulations. Yep. You won five gold. So. Yeah. Swamp turtle it is. Swamp turtle it is. All right. So how do we how do we handle this? All right. Uh, so building random encounters. Since I can't use anything else, otherwise we lose our <laughs> channel. I almost said it. I said, how can we? Uh, nope, not going to say that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so how do we move into this? All right. Uh, so <clears throat> building random random encounters. We got sure. we got a number of options for right. us. I mean, the easiest of all, obviously, is just to literally open up the DM's guide mm-hmm. or go to any of the numerous digital tools that are out there sure. on the internet right now. Sure. Punch the randomize it button or yep. roll some dice and. Take whatever Almost it hands you. Every system has it that that has encounters like this mm-hmm. has a random encounter table. Seven C has it, which is really weird to me that it that has is weird that it me. has some random encounter tables. They're usually like, like especially the way you run Seven C. I like, know, I know. Uh, first edition had a few of them, but again, they were mostly. Um, module specific I will say that uh-huh. so if there's a specific encounter you know they would have scenes in between where things could happen and they explained like what the the rate of those things could possibly be okay um, okay I can see and it. I usually find that that's more true uh, with systems beyond excuse me beyond D&D mm-hmm or even uh, Shadowrun mm-hmm. has that too any place that has an established world setting um, they usually place it into the details of either uh, a specific area, mm-hmm. like Palladium used to do it in rifts in the world books. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah, common yeah. in the main book until it was talking about a specific, like the UCAS. Mm-hmm. These are the randoms that you'd find there. So I think it comes down to the modules and your. Uh, so you, if you're having a hard time finding it and you're looking through a system, look to a region specific or a module, mm-hmm. and you may find within that a little bit of detail. So, uh, and another thing you can do is a good way to steal <laughs> is that uh, if you if you have existing modules that you own, like maybe you have like Tomb of Horrors or something like that, Ghosts of Saltmarsh you know, just yeah, came out. That's yeah. great, great for nautical stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Go into those if you're going to be doing your own game. Oh, yeah. Steal its random encounter table completely. Absolutely. There's no reason not to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chart is a chart. If it works for you, grab it. All right. So we talked pros. Mm-hmm. What are the cons of this? I think it feels too random sometimes. I think it depends on how curated it is. It, 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 it depends. I mean – If you're just doing it at the table in front of everybody, it so, definitely would feel that way. So here's here's the thing is that um, – and, and this is the reason – the, 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 the con that gets me away from choosing this option is that these options are very gen- – usually those tables are very generic mm-hmm. and it's not going to take any of your world building, your encounter balance or your narrative flow into into account. You are going to need to curate those things a little bit more and right. I figure if you're already putting in that work, take it to step two right. and that is write your own tables. See, and that's where my no. weight comes in. No, like, man, no. I'm I'm gonna fight you on this. And my th- live on the air. Th- th- this is where, like, if you're doing a full world build, sure, make an encounter table for that. But if if you're going episode to episode, and you're already writing for the episode, just write in your random encounter that could possibly happen, and move on. So, here's the thing. Sure, is that um. OK. So take my game for instance. Yeah, OK. Yeah. You guys are kind of open world. Sure. In that you can kind of really go anywhere, but you're focused on a plot in an area, in a mm. geographic space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. But there's several ways you could move around that space, mm-hmm. several places within that space you could go and visit. Sure. OK. So what I can do is since I know what sort of a contained space you're in and mm-hmm. I know what your focus in that space is. Right. I write just a – a, a, a Colovian Highlands random encounter table. Okay. Okay. Sure. I know from the world building the right. things that exist in that area. Right. Okay. Um, I also know because we're playing in the Elder Scrolls setting that there are some monsters that are not your typical D&D things. Sure. They're, they're to the Elder Scrolls flavor. Okay? Right. You've, you've made a world. So I can curate that list to fit my own custom stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my own uh, the the monsters that would normally be there that may may not be there on a normal standard D and D list, right? Um, like minotaurs. Sure. Did you know they were native to Cyrodiil? Didn't have a clue. Guess what? Guess what? Um, 
So those go on the list because they're there, you sure. know? Um, but I, w- I, w- I wouldn't normally see Minotaur on an average like highlands or plains, you know, or hills or mountainous, you know, whatever you want to call the area list, you know? Right. Those are typically a labyrinth encounter, a dungeon right. encounter. Right. Okay. So, so here's where I'm going to come. You're not going to bring that list to the table. Why not? When are you going to run okay. in between what we're doing some random thing that you didn't think was going to happen? When you do something I don't plan for. Okay. I have I have location-specific encounters written up in my plot. Sure. Okay. I know that when you show up in a certain town, an event will happen there. Right. I know if you do certain things before other certain things happen, it will trigger other events to happen and it may change what those events are. Right, right. But if you guys say to me, you know what? Screw this. We're not actually taking the road. We're going to spend three days hoofing it through the wilderness between this point and this point because we don't want to run in any more of these damn patrols. All right. Oh, okay. Well, now I have a wilderness encounter. Okay, sir. For you. Sir, okay. Okay, Dice sir. at the table. Maybe right. you run into – I don't know what you, whatever you run into. Right. I'm also going to say that not every storyteller is building a custom world. Mm-hmm. They're often tweaking a very existing world mm-hmm. and or relabeling. Sure. You know, they're grabbing Ravenloft. Sure. And they're relabeling it, the Darklands. What I'm, what I'm saying though is that it's, it doesn't actually take much work. I mean you look at some regular random encounter tables. Um, use Kobold Fight Club. That is my that is my suggestion, especially if I you are playing 5th edition. I think that is a grand idea. Use Kobold Fight Club. You can literally put it in there and, and the reason I'm going to say that is because you can build encounters by region. I think that is wholly a good idea. I that think is that a, is a good curation. It's an amazing idea. You can select what sources you have available mm-hmm. to you. Okay, You can select your party size, your average party level, mm-hmm. and then you select the region you want it for. Yep. And you hit randomize. Yep. I love it. And all of a sudden, bam, it goes, okay, you're going through the mountains. Here's what you got. Don't like that? Hit randomize again. And it will pull those random encounters for you. You do that two or three times. And you get two or three random encounters you can build that are right. already balanced to your, no, no. to your character's level. I agree with that and I think that is a great way to go. And then throw two or three non-combat encounters on there. I think I think curating in that regard yeah. is really good. Yeah. I think that's curation, not necessarily new table creation. No, it doesn't have to be – I mean it's new table in that the table did not exist before you curated it. Mm, I suppose. But you know, you write it down. Like if I roll a one, you know, a, a one or a two. It's this encounter. If I mm-hmm. roll three or four, it's this encounter. Five or six, it's this encounter. Sure. Yep. Seven or eight, it's this. And nine or ten, they get nothing. Yeah. And I'll flat out say, if you have more than like four or five things on your random list, like I think you're doing way too much effort. Yeah, I would. I would do like maybe two or three, two or three different. Unless um, you're stealing it straight from something else. Like for instance, if I'm stealing something from the Seven C Adventure, and there are ten options, and like. One of the – like three of those options are different levels of flotsam or jetsam mm-hmm. that you find on the ocean. Sure, why not? I'm going to steal that. Mm-hmm. But like straight up, no. I'm I'm not going to have that many options. It's not necessary. I yeah. think that's a little too random. It's not focused enough for to, to explain why those things are Oh, that yeah, way. yeah. You don't know. You don't, it doesn't need to be a big list. Just like maybe, maybe like two, maybe three combat encounters, like a couple of – non-combat encounters or even just random things. Yeah. Um that Do you, you know how fa- how long you can stop an entire party with a random thing? Yeah. It's unbelievable. I do. And some really great role play can come out of it. Mm-hmm. You know? You find a cart. What kind of cart? Looks like a wheelbarrow. Wheels broken off of it. Is there anything in it? A couple empty bags and one strap of leather. It's broken. That's it. That's it. We need to find the bodies. Excuse me? <laughs> and that, that yeah. starts everything. It's, it's a chair. Nox is, it's just a chair, yes. Ex- exactly that, Knox. But, yeah. but like imagine that out in the wilderness. No, so true. Um, so true. No, actually uh, uh, with, with the, the uh, subtle critical role reference uh, uh, in, in there, like that, that was kind of one of the things I was thinking about when I was writing this stuff up was um, – uh, in Critical Role, very early on in the campaign, they were traveling just from one town to the next. There was yeah. like a week of travel or something like sure. that. And so Matthew just had a couple of like random sort of things. Like they came to a roadside grave. 
Yeah. With like an old rusted soldier's helmet sitting on top of the grave marker. Yeah. And there was just a moment where like they, they took an interlude of just kind of poked around the grave a little bit. They didn't dig it up or anything, but they investigated the area mm-hmm. to see if there was anything strange. And then there was some discussion between a couple characters about sure. how who this might have been and what this grave might mean. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they were on their way. But it was a good character building moment, you know? But at the same regard, like we had talked about like the fact that it doesn't have to be combat and I think it really doesn't need to be and I think that shines for that is that you're opening that door to non-combat encounters yeah. to object-based encounters that have really – I mean it's important to the setting but mm-hmm. not necessarily the story. It gives you that flavor and it's a great opportunity to throw in a background piece. Yeah, exactly. I think I think random encounters is a flawless representation of where you can grab a character's background and plunk it right into the story for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where it shines in 7C is you can straight up do those encounters for that reason. Yeah. Because at the beginning of the game, a character might say, I'm spending a drama die. I want my character's background to be involved in the story today. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're like, OK, well, I got to figure out when to put this in. I do that. Yep. So – here, I remember I am a star-crossed lover. Oh, yep. yes, you are. Okay. Here it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Some old X-drama. So let's talk a little bit about that. So we had – I had kind of brought up the idea of um, – I'll, I'll call it setting or environmental ones. Sure, sure. Um, where you can have a – a moment of the city change. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you're going into a new area you've never been before, there's nothing that says that when you get there, there isn't something going on. Like a festival or like – you, you thought you could go into port and, of this city and it was going to – you know, and get restocked. But when you show up in port, there's 40 boats there that are all colorfully painted with flags flying in all directions and people at the docks drinking and doing a bunch of stuff only to find out it's – you know, Pirates Day in the village. Yeah. And you're like, what? It's the one day of the year that the pirates are allowed to come into dock without being arrested outright. Uh-huh. And they are welcomed in, welcomed in by the mayor and they are fed and wined and everything. And it keeps everybody happy and uneven keel. And sometimes captains can talk to captains then and it becomes Captain's Day. But uh, boats, boats, <laughs> nice. boats, boats, 911. It's yeah. a. I'll explain later. <laughs> Anyways, it's uh, but it's 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 a festival. So now you're stuck. Now you can't get things done. But at the same time, you get to meet a bunch of captains, perhaps in an environment where they're not all hostile. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're all just on a yeah, exactly. <laughs> Captain Picard Day. I'm I'm somewhat of a role model. <laughs> ah, indeed. So I think that like those kind of encounters are always great, um, especially when the players have a certain idea in mind when they get there and find out oh. Well, I guess we can't exactly do that today. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, you know. Oh, we went to. We want to go talk to the. You know, we're here to talk to the 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 priest of the town. Well, I'm sorry. There's a wedding. What? There's a wedding today. He's busy. Oh, were you invited? Roll. Yes. 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 yes we I was. were. <laughs> and you move through it. You know. And I, I think, I think the other great thing about uh, about non combat encounters is that, um, like combat encounters, they set an expectation. You yeah. know, you're being attacked; it's going to be a fight. Sure. But a non combat encounter, you can do a lot with. Oh yeah. You know, they're just something that's there, something you stumble across, and mm-hmm. then it's kind of, it's kind of up to the, you know, it's it's a reactive encounter. Sure. It's up to the players to decide how they're going to interact with it. Like, if you're traveling down the road, you roll a random encounter, and it's a merchant with a busted wagon wheel. Sure. You know, the a. a, a Good aligned party might be like, "Hey, buddy, you know we can we can help you out. No, we can sure. you know we'll roll some rolls to see if we can you know fix your wagon wheel or mm-hmm. at least get you set up or mm-hmm. maybe give you a lift back to town or something like that." Yeah, and uh, you know, or a more unscrupulous group might be like, "What lone merchant with just one guard and no witnesses? Looks like free stuff to me." Likewise with like 7C with reputation, Mm -hmm. you know, you might have a a poster on – you know, they find a bounty on a tree. Well, depending on their level of reputation, that bounty could be for somebody else or for them. Or for them, right. And how high is the bounty? Yeah. And who else is waiting? And and this is exactly the sort of thing that could that could that could spawn that mm-hmm. you know like they rob that merchant sure and they go about their merry way thinking like haha we got our stuff well then they come back to town to find wanted posters with their faces splattered all over it yep you know it can cause that reputation change but and and just as just as equally though they help the merchant 
Right. They come back to town and find out all of a sudden all the merchants know their names yeah. and are offering them discounts. Yeah, They're considered exactly. a friend of the Merchants Guild. Yep. I mean – and then you've got your things that we had talked about before where it's truly purely environmental. Mm-hmm. It's a – you know, it's an avalanche. It's a rock slide. It's a freaking dangerous bridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think the, the great thing about those sort of things is not only – like they're, they're good times to use some of your more off-the-wall skills. Sure. Or even just put like uh, – uh, I, I see you know uh, Matt Mercer do this a lot. Just put it in the, in the, in the character's hands. Mm-hmm. OK. This is the environmental problem. How are you going to solve it? Yeah. Not roll me a survival check but right, like right. how do you navigate it? Right. Um. OK, uh, I've got high athletics. OK, what? how are you going to use that? I'm just literally going to plow through it like we're just going to go. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go. I'm going to drive the pace and we're going to get through this. OK, <clears throat> roll me an athletics check. Yeah, and and I think that can let those skills shine mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, Allow a character to play to their strengths and feel useful to the group. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean and, and if your players have a high reputation of being heroes, there's nothing to say that another kind of encounter couldn't be – that they come across a murder, yeah. And they're asked to solve it. Mm-hmm. You know, right there, like what happened? You know, one of these two guys must have killed this person. Which one of them was it? You, you all clearly have abilities, and your heroes help us. You oh know? God, yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's a whole situation. Of now they've got to figure out an investigation, especially if you're high reputation. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to be like, "Oh God, thank God, the, the the adventurers are here." You know, yeah. or you know, and that's when those kind of moments can come out where like players who have custom who have special names, or maybe they have histories, or maybe they've created history in game that has mm-hmm. come up around them where they're known for. Handling issues, mm-hmm. you know, and how they handle it. Likewise, it doesn't necessarily have to be a mystery, but it can also be a punishment. You know, you come across the road and you find a merchant who's got two goons at at you know arrow point, and you kind of write up like, "What's this?" And they're like, "Oh God, I'm so glad you're here. I've been holding these guys for hours, waiting for guards or someone to show up on the road. These men need to be brought to justice." And you're like, "What?" I'm like, "Well, you're." You're the heroes, and like, like, dude, I'm busy right now. Like, well, you know, you, you can't just walk away from this. I mean, I I can't stand here forever with this arrow knocked at them, and I can't very well let them go. Mm-hmm. You know, and and now you've got to solve that problem. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a non-combat encounter that might have some combat in the end. Well, you know? I mean, only one thing you can do, you know, kill them, raise them as zombies, and tell them to walk themselves back to jail. That is a way to do it. That's that a way to do it. Do yeah. it so. It's honestly the most humane way. Uh, the the other the other thing I like too is uh, rolling rolling non combat encounters into combat encounters. Okay. Uh, so you present them with an environmental hazard, for instance, okay. Okay. Um, and and it doesn't have to be anything terribly complicated, but just like okay, you guys need to traverse some dark woods. You know, okay. how yeah. are you going to traverse these dark woods? The path is winding and often lost with all the fallen leaves and, you know, trees and stuff like that. Um, you know, and a failed survival check or a failed whatever check, really, whatever, whatever skill they're putting out there to try to navigate that, you know, might result then, okay, well, you failed. So now you're being assailed by wolves that would not have come after you had you stayed on the path. Right. But you strayed too deep into the wilderness and now you're beset by danger, you know. Um or, you know, here's here's a here's a rickety bridge. How are you guys going to cross it? Okay, mm-hmm. well somebody fails their acrobatics check or whatever. Sure. Falls into the water. Okay, no no harm from falling into the water. It's just it's just a river. It's not terribly that deep, but there are possibly some marrow or lizard folk or something like that that are living under that bridge. Shrieking eels. Shrieking eels, <laughs> yes, uh, and they they grow louder when they're about to feast on human flesh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true, very true. So, um, you know, easy things you can do with that too. So, yeah. So I think, I, I mean, I, I guess for me is that random encounters really are a spice that can be added, um, so long as it fits in the world. Yes, I, I think it can. But I, I think any storyteller can use. The tools to help them get a little more creative. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure what your countryside looks like, go look at a couple other countrysides. Yeah. Grab a module, look through its random encounters, look through some of the flavor of it. You mm-hmm. might find something you like. And it, you don't have to stay within the system. Yeah. You can go to a lot of other systems. A lot of people look at the, you know, uh, a lot of uh, Lord of the Rings when they think of areas and they use the, the things that they encounter there as ways to, uh, 
ways to come across uh, encounters in those zones. Mm-hmm. You know, people like you used Elder Scrolls as a world generating tool and kind of was able to look at Elder Scrolls Online mm-hmm. as what, what's randomly here. Elder Scrolls Online, Oblivion, mm-hmm. it also takes place in Cyrodiil where we're yeah. playing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So. But there's nothing to say that you can't do that. There's mm-hmm. there's plenty of assets out there to give you creative justice to say it's like this. Yes. And that gives you that flavor then again. Exactly. And I I, th- I think as long as you're using a, a random encounter generator as a tool rather than as the way to drive your setting, then I think you're 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 perfect. You're on you're on you're on target there. Fantastic. Do we need to go anymore? Uh, I think we got twenty minutes left, and I That's, think it's plenty of time to get in some questions. Yeah, we do have some questions left over from last week and a few new ones for this week. Um I think we can probably hit some of the ones from last week and then drift in. Yeah, man. Where do you want to start? I don't know. You tell me. Um, Let's start with some of – let's start with Knox's random stuff. So um, I'm going to go with is handling random encounters different when you have one isolated PC versus the entire group in a scene? Is it easier to use the stats of one PC to decide the probability qualifications of an encounter versus having the groups? Um. Personally, I hate doing personal encounters, Yeah, especially if it's number crunching. I think if you have a personal encounter, it shouldn't be number crunching unless it's important that it's number crunching, that you're, that you're literally letting fate decide uh, – fate and the, and the player's intuition decide on how that should go. Yeah. I think if you have a personal encounter, it should be brief. It should be vocal and it should be almost predetermined of a one or – Either or kind of action, meaning the player makes a decision and that is what decides the outcome of that reaction. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would almost say that it requires some sort of drastic circumstance like a player massively screwed up and sure. is therefore put in a position to be solo dealing with something. Right. I mean if somebody – like for instance, you had a group who was crossing a bridge and mm-hmm. one of the players failed the bridge crossing and ends up plummeting down into the river. As far as I'm concerned, they're out of the scene. Yeah. And we'll discuss how they return to the scene. I'm not going to run a whole encounter for how they get back to the group unless specifically it's important that the actions therein decide that. Right, like, right. I remember the days when I would run something custom for something like that in between games. Mm-hmm. These no. days, there is no good reason to ruin the flow of the game yeah. to create that whole thing. And there are plenty of places where you can basically say – Things happen. You show up, and you know you come back at the next session. Sure, sure. You know, kind of a thing. So, um, I, the the second part of the question here too is: uh, Is it easier to use stats of one PC to decide the probability or qualifications of the encounter versus having uh, having the groups? Um, again, I I wouldn't suggest running anything for a solo person, but. Uh, it's always like encounters, it, especially if you're talking D and D fifth edition mm-hmm. or D and D in general, really, because yeah. I think they did in solid editions. Uh, is it's built around a group? Yes, all challenge ratings are figured off of a group. Correct. Um, fifth edition does theirs a little bit differently, so you can you can scale it for group size. It's right. based off of the typical XP that would be granted off of it if you were doing it numerically. Um, yeah, but uh, like f- third edition, I know did it based off of a. Uh, a four-person party. Correct. There was the assumption that there would be four people encountering this. Right, and then they scaled based upon that going up, not going down. R- well, yeah, yeah. Basically, it was uh, there was uh, math for it, but yeah, there was yeah. some math for it. But, yeah. Um, one way or another, though, um, typically if you're talking D and D, it's it's based around groups. Um, I would never base it off of a single person. If yeah. You're, if you're going down to a single person and you insist on having a a random encounter for a single person, mm-hmm. curate it. Yeah. Directly, yeah, and make it a a very custom encounter. Don't yeah. leave I mean, that up to numbers. Overwatch brings up the point of duels, and I think duels are very custom. I think that's that you're you're fighting something for a specific reason. They are, but a duel isn't random. No, and I, I, I agree with that statement. So, yep, um, your turn. Pick one. All right. Uh, so Technolich asks us: uh, Would you consider having someone run an adventure in your homebrewed setting? And if so, would you want to play in it? That's a good question. Um, I'm of two minds on this, as I typically am. As a player, I love playing in any setting. I think it's fun. Um, I think some of that is challenging when you have when it's your setting, something yeah. you custom designed, yeah. Um, 
because then you feel like you have more knowledge than you should. But I think you can play around with that depending on how you want to do it. I think my problem is I overthink my my homebrew setting too much. Mm-hmm. And so I have very particular reasons and, and a lot of lore that I kind of know in the back of my head. And it's not that I would walk in there with too much knowledge and feel like a power gamer, but that I would be sitting over the DM's shoulder going like, oh, actually, it's – no, see, it's it's like this because – no, see, th- this guy actually did this, which made this happen, which is so – it would actually happen like this and not like you're telling it. Right. And I I don't want I don't I don't want to be that person. Right. Like I I grabbed for the D and D game mm-hmm. a wor- part of a world that you had created. Yeah. So I asked for a little bit of information, but it wasn't directly connected. No, and it was in in what you've used of it is pretty perfect. So yeah, yeah, it's simple. So so yeah, I would say yeah, I'd like to play in a game that was a world I created, but I would definitely struggle a little bit with it. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're shaking my baby. Nice, nice. <laughs> It's quite the way it feels. You're sometimes. shaking my baby. That's exactly. I think that's even. It, yes. I think that's even true when people have a different feeling about a setting. Uh-huh. I mean, I've played. I played in other rifts games, and I was like, "This isn't rifts." Oh yeah. Like, where, how are you, like, using this? This is that isn't even what's written in the book, right? But I have right. to remember that's not my perception. Yeah, we're in a different world. Like this is their choice, mm-hmm. and I think there are some people who uh, who use the Ten Towns region. Uh, of of uh, Forgotten Realms and they have a very different view on what that area is like mm-hmm. and who the people are that are there um, and that's their opinion and that's their view of it and that's OK. That is totally one legitimate. But I can tell you right now it makes certain people who have read the novels and have gone through the games and know the setting settings as far as those are concerned a little twitchy because mm-hmm. they're like that, that's not what happens there mm-hmm. you know. and you get that. I think I would, I would have the same problem like if I were trying to run 7C. Yeah. Like I, 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 don't, I don't think I would ever do that. Like I, I couldn't do that to you. I like you too much to run it to ever run 7C. <laughs> I think you should. I think it would be fun. And I think that's what – it's everyone's take on a fantasy uh, – on, on fantasy. And so we'll get to that and I'll mm-hmm. explain why, fan, why I think 7C is a little different. OK. 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 I'll explain that's, that. That's fair. So. That's fair. Um, we'll uh, we'll have that discussion. Let's grab uh, Overwatches. Uh, what is a story beat motif or trope you find yourself continually coming back to over the years? What is one you try to avoid? Oh, geez. Well, I know which one I continually come back to. Okay, zeros to heroes. Yeah. Okay. I love the idea of starting off my PCs as low level nobodies. With no destinies, no great abilities, no magical heirlooms, just dudes with swords maybe and watching them blossom into something greater. Um, so you will almost never see me run heroic characters from the very beginning. Even when I was running Aberrant, it was like, so tell me what kind of average dude you were before you grew, uh, grew superpowers. Right, right. You know? I think – I try to continually avoid doing the same thing again and again. Mm-hmm. I really, really do. Um, my problem that I run into I think is my villainy tends to get similar feels and I, I, I think it's because I try to make my villains a little too real. Yeah. I don't give them enough trope I don't uh, or enough motif. That's fair. Um, and I fair. think that's part of my problem is they end up being too reasonably normalized, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think that's I think that's part of the things. One of the things that I tend to avoid um, is psychosis. Things that make, especially in villainy, I I don't like crazy villains. I think that's I think it's a cop out. I think it's hard to do properly, and okay. I think your players can get really confused. So. Um, it's hard to to set it up properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and psychosis is, I think, in any game system, whether it's vampire or Seven C or D and D, is a touchy subject. It is um, it bringing is. up the idea of someone being crazy. I mean, is, we're talking genuine mental illness. Correct. Correct. Um, or or even varied subsets of that. Mm-hmm. Like I 
try and make sure that um, – like I will – I've never played a character who's had anything like that except for save one. Mm-hmm. And that was just a personality quirk that I put in. Beyond right, that, right. he was a normal dude like as far see, as he was concerned. See, now that's that's got me kind of wondering how you feel about uh, the current plot arc in my game. It, again, it's not something I do. So mm-hmm. I, I can play in that world and I can study it and I can examine it. But for me, it's very challenging. Okay, like, okay, okay. I just try to avoid it. For, for reference, uh, those, those of you who are not involved in my game, uh, what I'm referring to is the, uh, the, the, the Daedric Prince of Madness, Sheogorath, is uh, uh, largely involved in the current, the current outcome of the plot. So there is some insanity going around on the bad mm-hmm. guy side. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're we're still discovering how deep that rabbit hole goes. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So I think I think for me that would be mine that I try to avoid. I've done a few minor things with it, but I find that it's it's a struggle for me to write. It really is. Mm-hmm. So I think I just try to avoid it because of that. Um, yeah, Shumagorath. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that would be this. Shiogorath. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We've got, uh, a few more from Knox here. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, okay. So he asks, uh, as, as ideas randomly come to you all through your work week, what are some of the best quick and easy ways to record and organize your thoughts? Google Drive. Uh, yeah, I've said it before. I've said it, I'll say it again. Um, but it's a combination <coughs> of Google Drive and mostly Evernote. Um, I think Evernote comes really big in not only the record, but the organize part for me. Um, yeah. Because, uh, Evernote allows you to make notebooks and then put sheets in those notebooks. So um, it's all categorized and you can even put tags on them yeah. and then search those tags. Oh, nice. Uh, and, of course, it remembers all of them. So, you know, you type H-I and it goes Highlands. Okay. And you're like, yes. Okay. Or, you know, V-I- Villains. Yes, yeah. villains. Thank you. I, I I will eventually have to take a better look at that because it's been a long time, and I've just gotten so used to using Google Docs I'll, that uh, I don't. I'll show you my old campaign notes from like one of the previous chapters. Yeah. So it's the content you guys have already cleared, That's cool. and you'll see you'll see kind of what I what I've been doing with it. Yeah. I mean, I've really tried to use Scrivener. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it too bulky. Like I've tried a few times to go back to it, and I just I find it, uh, com- I I find it very cumbersome to get set up there are some people who who swear by it mm-hmm. um but i just i, I just can't I'm like maybe when i'm further into my campaign i might use it a bit more to try mm-hmm. and keep track of the older notes but honestly just episode to episode i'm making notes i have my track of my npcs as a sheet like i keep it pretty simple yeah, yeah. so i I've heard, a, I've heard a lot of good things about scrivener yeah. like every time i've ever heard the words like oh scrivener you know yeah. but yeah, no, I, I just – there are some tools like – like I mean like Blender. You yeah. Know? I mean I hear Blender is just like the be-all, end-all for multimedia production from 3D graphics to – I mean there's people who do painting and stuff like that yeah. in Blender. And, no, you know, I, I agree. Just amazing stuff. But every time I try to get into that and, – and, and I've got a background in 3D you know, design and animation. Like that's literally the classes I took in college. You mm-hmm. know, you'd think I'd be able to navigate. No. No, it's it's interface is obnoxious and just you know yeah and and again it's I think it's also a matter of learning it taking the time to sit down and and use it enough that you get into it right and then at that point you're like oh this is a lot easier you got to get yourself over that over that cusp of frustration yeah where you're not annoyed with it enough yeah. to quit before you learn it yeah wow I think you just also explained arc yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get one more question here before we get off on that tangent. Um, uh, can you lose storytelling flavor with more players? Oh, that's that's a very compact question with a very big answer. I think I would say yes. Um, I've ran a couple of games where I've added up to as many as eight people, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot to some of you who run ridiculously large games, which I still can't freaking fathom. Looking at you, Draven and Technolich. Um, but seriously, like I, I get above five people, and suddenly I have players talking over players and missing whole dialogues, mm-hmm. and not involved in scenes, and either falling asleep or you know doing something else. And like scenes go on forever because it's a combat sequence and nobody's really ready and I don't want to be a manager. Yeah. Like like that sounds like a job. That does sound like a job. And this isn't meant to be a job. This is meant to be fun. 
with a little bit of work. I, I oftentimes find the the problem I've, I've got, especially with larger groups, um, and I'm running six people in mine right now, is uh, you'll have one character who wants the spotlight and rightly so. Like there, there should, you know, should have – players should have moments to shine. You know, yes. especially if if a particular scene calls to their bailiwick, you know, their 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 power, you know, if it's a social scene and the bard steps forward and says, I'll handle this. Like, yeah. that, that's great. Like, that's that's what the bard should do. But at that point, then you run into the sticky situation. You have five other players sitting there kind of twiddling their thumbs watching the bard work. Yeah. And maybe trying to contribute a little bit, but literally everything that they can do, the bard can do better in that in that situation. Yep. And so I think it requires a mature um group yeah. to keep themselves disciplined in a situation where the spotlight isn't on them and won't be on them. You know? Yeah. And especially like if you have an interlude where it's not even like the rest of the group is just watching the one character do their thing, but like a um, personal plot specific thing. Oh, yeah. You know, a, a character specific to one character's background mm-hmm. comes in and says, hey, I need to talk to you about this stuff. OK. And you have a very good, important backstory, dramatic moment with this one character. You've still got five other players at this table doing nothing, listening to this other character's backstory happen. Or worse yet, interjecting. Oh, Yeah. That that's the part that always got me is that when you start into something that's important for a single character that you've gotten focused for them because mm-hmm. it's meant for them and one of the other players literally steps in like, oh, clearly this is something for us all and just starts immediately doing stuff and you're like, well, I guess this scene is going in that direction. Yeah. Let's see if this other player picks it up. Um, I, I can distinctly remember a couple occasions where I ran games um, in previous years where I literally had to go back to the player at the end and said – did you know what that was? And they were like, well, I didn't feel like I was really involved in the game. I'm like, did you recognize where that person was from and how I was talking with you? Oh, was that – oh, I guess I should have said something. Yeah, like that was Well, I couldn't really the... hear anything because so-and-so was talking over me and really wanted to do the thing and – OK. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I did throw it in there and threw you a bone. Yeah. You know, yeah. and now you feel bad about it. Like right. you're like, I just did. I spent like an hour on a whole scene for someone that got literally overthrown by the role player of the group. Yep, yep. So I, I think it's. I think it takes a, a mature group to kind of recognize when the, when the limelight isn't for them. Right. You know. Right. And just just let the other person have it. Yep. And yeah. we talked about that with you know curating players. Yeah. You yeah, know, exactly. and understanding what games and what players play well together. Yeah, but unfortunately, at a certain point, it 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 goes out of the the storyteller's purview, and yeah. uh, so you you can't really do much about that sometimes. Yeah. So uh, honestly, at this point, guys, I don't know how you do it. I really don't. <laughs> Props to you. Props yeah. to you. Sixes, sixes, like definitely top of my. Yeah. I, I I don't think I could manage more than that and it's not like i couldn't manage a story that had more than six players you know characters in it Mm -hmm. but like if i had six people that i had to manage every single session Mm -hmm. i don't know well i mean i I, i've been kind of getting around that by focusing more on the environmental story than i am personal stories right but uh you know you you do what you can to manage that I, i i again i don't even think that's the problem i think the problem is the day to day it's the moment to moment. Yeah, it's making combat encounters last an appropriate amount of time without them lasting an inordinate amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, you start getting into one encounter a session that takes ninety five percent of the session and really doesn't get them any farther into the story. Exactly. Yeah, and so it it it's especially since you we only play once a month. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So I mean, when you look at the overall in game time that passes between three game sessions, and you figure out it's literally eight hours, and mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. We have advanced the in game clock eight hours in three months. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. I think we're uh, we're we're belaboring the point here. I think we're so. Gonna... Uh, next week. Next week. Next week is Valentine's Day. Ooh. I mean, Friday's Valentine's Day. So. Yeah. But uh, love is in the air. Apparently, it is. 
And so, uh, so we're going to be uh, – uh, this is actually a contributor suggestion from yeah. Knox in the Box. Okay. Once again, a reminder that uh, if you are at the contributor level of our Patreon, mm-hmm. uh, you have the ability to suggest a show topic to us once a month. And so Indeed. Knox comes in – Knox comes in with all with all hearts and cupids uh, this, uh, this, this week. <laughs> so um, – I wants to hear a little bit how to run romance in games Ooh. in the spirit of uh, of Valentine's Day. I definitely have some ideas on that topic. Yeah, uh, look, look, I kind of said in our Discord, like this is this is going to be your topic because it's I I've never really been able to run romance, and you've done it pretty well. Like my characters got romantic entanglements yep. all the all over the place in mm-hmm. your Seven C games. So, yep. all right. All right, so uh, Kate, if you want to take us out, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, Instagram also at st underscore conclave, and uh, you can find us on Discord. Our uh, the link to our Discord is in our Twitter and also in the episode descriptions of all of our episodes. You can find on your most listened podcast software. You can also find us on uh, Patreon at uh, Storyteller Conclave. You can join our other members, Knox and Sam, who uh, we talk about every week and thank. Furiously, Thank you so much. But we have other contributors in there as well who contribute at lower levels, and we appreciate everything that they do for us. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com on Google Music as well. Or your outro music, which you're hearing now, Only Our Footprints in the Sand uh, by Midair Machine. That's made by Kerry Washington. Uh, the, uh, you can find them at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. We record every week at Podcast Detroit. You can find them online at podcastdetroit.com, on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. Big shout out to our engineer, Caitlin. Thank you so much for regaling us with great stories about uh, the uh, the show mascot, your puppy dog, Jack. Aw. And uh, big, uh, uh, once again, lots of love to our families, Vicky and Sean, all of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years, and especially you, our listeners. We love you. Good night. Good night.